This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. Proving it is never too late to change careers and follow your passion, my guest today has done just that. After 25 years owning his own auto repair shops, he went from fixing cars to fixing people from being a master mechanic to medical doctor. His dream of becoming a doctor may have been delayed, but it would not be denied. Today, at the age of 52, Dr. Carl Allenby is an emergency room physician. Dr. Carl, welcome to my podcast. It's an honor to have you on the show today. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. I so appreciate you reaching out to me to have me on here. As a child, you wanted to become a doctor but didn't believe it was possible based on your circumstances, which you describe as being a poor boy growing up on the wrong side of Cleveland. What was your childhood like? I grew up on the east side of Cleveland in the city of East Cleveland, which a lot of people don't know that it used to be the home of J.D. Rockefeller. He's actually buried in the cemetery right down from where I grew up there. So once a city that had a lot of prominence and a lot of wealth fell into despair in the 70s when my family moved here from California, my mom and my dad and a couple of my siblings, I was just coming along. As I grew up in this impoverished area, things were just very hard. Sometimes we just went without a lot of the basic necessities. My dad, who worked as a door-to-door salesman, and my mom, who was a stay-at-home mom, you know, they did the best that they could to provide. But growing up in such an impoverished area was definitely difficult and had its challenges, not only just in family life, but school life and some of the aspirations that I may have had as a young child that kind of got lost along the way. I know that you were expected to contribute financially to help the entire family stay afloat. You had a number of jobs in high school. What were some of those? We were really lucky that our school system had these opportunities for young folks like me who are interested in working, but they had a lot of things like cleaning, stripping floors, (laughs) scrubbing gum off the bottom of desks that the kids had put there all year long. and But also, they had classes that we could take as well, too, to develop some of our skills. I remember taking a very introductory automotive class back when I was much younger, taking a typing class, and also something to learn how to cook a little bit better so I wouldn't burn everything. A lot of opportunities that taught us great work ethic and gave us an opportunity to make some money to contribute back to our household and to some of the things, some of the basic necessities that we needed throughout the school year. Well, when you're faced with sort of daily survival, if you will, I imagine it's kind of hard to project how your life might be in the future. And medicine at the time probably seemed improbable. You have said that you pictured possibly end up working in a factory or going in the military. And despite not being great in school, you believed you were capable of much more. Where did that confidence come from? I think mostly from my mom and dad. They always encouraged us to 
do as much as we could with the talents that we had. They were always really supportive of all of our aspirations. And my dad would really say, you know, he encouraged us to make mistakes. And not only that, I had great examples around my neighborhood of hardworking men and women, families. You know, I had great male role models of people who worked hard, you know, a lot of blue collar jobs they held, but they got up and they weren't, went to work every day. And they were great family men and, and family women who I got to observe throughout my neighborhood. So although there was a lot of deprivation around where I grew up, there was a lot of love and there was a lot of support. I think that's so important, that support that you got to visually see and experience on your own, that can make such a huge difference in a young child's life. Yeah. And my dad always taught us to dream big. Although he was a door-to-door salesman, he had an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, in order to go door-to-door to sell pots and pans and silverware and knives and, and furniture or whatever he was selling, it took a lot of his own personal ambition to get out there and do those things to make the commission that he, that he needed to make in order to support our family. You mentioned a moment ago taking some automotive courses, and you discovered that you had quite the talent for this. And by the age of 19, after taking some courses also at a local community college, you pulled together your savings, and with a $500 Sears credit card, you started your own auto body shop. By your mid-20s, you were a master mechanic, and then for 25 years, you grew your business. What did you enjoy about being a master mechanic and a business owner? I always loved fixing cars. And although I did take that class in early high school, I was fixing cars by the age of 12, 13. I'd help my dad with repairs on his car out in the driveway. And by the time I was 13, you know, I was putting brakes on my sister's car and exhaust systems, I remember, and just helping out with all the general repairs because we, I mean, we couldn't afford to pay a shop to fix the things that needed to be fixed. So I learned a lot along the way. And my parents always knew that I had a great aptitude for repairing things and and also diagnosing things. I always loved electronics. You know, I'd have a transistor radio and most of the time I took things apart and I broke them. Uh, (laughs) But but those experiments really set me up for a good future. So I, so working on cars was just so part of me. I mean, I just, I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed the technical aspect, not only of just taking parts off and replacing them, but also the diagnostic aspect that comes along with, with so many cars, especially in this day and age now. Things were going great in my business. And, and I love being a business owner. I mean, I, I had a lot of employees from around the community. I worked on friends and family's cars and had customers for ever since my early days in business who stuck with me through all of the growing pains and everything and learned to really enjoy and, and feel like a lot of my customers were also like family. So it was really an exciting field for me. And, and I still enjoy, you know, I get out there and I fix things. I rebuilt my daughter's engine on her Honda. It was a nice car and I could fix it. So you're a good man to have around, I think, for a lot of different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) All right. At age 34, you feel a little restless and you get this itch to go back to school and you want to get your undergraduate degree in business. You're running the auto shop by day. You're taking courses at night. And one of those requirements before you were even allowed to graduate was an introductory biology course, which you put off as long as possible, thinking it had nothing to do with business. But it turns out it's a major pivot point for you. What happened? I knew that I wanted to reinvent myself. And did that mean building the business bigger, taking it in a totally different direction or doing something different? I put off that biology course. 
the first few minutes of just being in class of the instructor just telling us everything about medicine. He was a doctor himself and was uh, so animated and so incredibly brilliant. And with me having like that diagnostic mind and always wanting to know more, always intrigued by the different possibilities, I just wanted to know as much as possible. Within the first hour of being in that class, I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Next step, med school. And your first two years are all these pre-med classes. And I can't even imagine how difficult it was because you're running these auto shops. You're keeping up with the overwhelming amount of material presented. You're traveling back and forth from your home, I think something like two hours every day. And you have a family by now. How difficult were those first couple of years? So it was a stressful time. I remember just waking up in the morning and opening the door to the business and later on going to class and studying throughout the night as I was finishing up with the pre-medical studies, preparing to take the MCAT, which is a very difficult test that allows you to have entry into medical school. So all of those things were just things that I had to manage, along with being a a father, a husband, and a family man. So it took a lot of dedication, but I look back on all those years and, and all I could remember are the great times that I had, the great times studying, learning all this new material, working on this pathway to self-discovery. At some point in time, you realize, wait a minute, I can't go full-time med school, run the business. And your employees knew that at some point in time, you were going to have to make a decision. None of them wanted to buy it. None of them wanted to run it. And you decide to take it to auction. And in a matter of 10 hours, your entire 25 years was liquidated and sold. I can't even imagine what that must have felt like that day. Was that hard? Were you glad? What did you feel that day? It was liberating, I must tell you. (laughs) I was finishing up my pre-medical classes and and knew that medical school, I had four years of medical school ahead of me. And I let all my employees know that, you know, the business was going to be wound down and I was going to move on. Nobody wanted to buy the business. Uh, Nobody wanted to work as hard as I did. I mean, because I literally (laughs) was working seven days a week sometimes multiple hours a day for all of that to come to a close. I remember on the day of the auction, when we're auctioning off everything, and there's people all buzzing around the place and people are bidding on stuff. And the auctioneer came to me and said, Carl, I thought just at any moment you were going to pull out of this whole thing and say, forget this. But I was so ready for a change. I had run the automotive business since I was 19 years old. I mean, I basically left high school and started a business that was all consuming. I mean, I was just steeped in responsibility and just doing the day-to-day functions of the business and was just so excited about what life had to offer as my career in medicine. The day that we sold the business, I remember one of my employees said, boy, Carl, it's been 25 years. Aren't you going to miss this place? I said, heck no, close the door. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) It was liberating, as you said. All those years of medical school, Very impressive, given everything that you were doing. The age of 47, you become Dr. Carl Allenby. How proud were you of that moment that day? Oh, it was a surreal day. My whole family was there for my graduation, my children, my brothers and sisters, friends and cousins, and my dad. Uh, My mom had uh, passed away back in 2009, so she never got to see that day. But I'm sure that she was there in the room with us. It was such a magnificent day to finish up with such a long course of study with all of the challenges that come with a medical education. I mean, it is hard work. 
because it is literally like drinking out of a fire hose. And even that kind of description does not do it justice with the amount of material that you have to learn, that you have to retain, that you have to study, uh, the commitment to, to people and healthcare and, and lives. It's just a tremendous responsibility, but it all came to the culminating effect at that day that I graduated and walking across that stage, being the first medical doctor of my family was just an awesome day. It meant so much to me, but I realized that there's so many other people who put so much into me, even from my early days in my automotive field to my wife navigating, taking care of the children and her working a full-time job as well too. And along with my kids who were always tolerant of me being gone for several hours a day for long amounts of time. And then my community that just supported me throughout this whole endeavor. It was definitely a celebration for all of us, not just for myself. Well-deserved. My grandmother, Dr. Dorothy Chaco, always said, no knowledge is ever wasted. And it's true. There are often themes and patterns in all of our experiences that can be connected. If we're willing to look at how to connect all those dots, there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn. And for you, there are a lot of parallels from being a master mechanic to being an emergency room physician. Connect the dots for us. Well, not only just through the course of emergency medicine, but also through the humanistic process of taking care of people, of uh, solving problems, of having people who come into you with a problem that they don't know how to solve, and they are putting their trust, their faith in you to come up with a solution and to help them with whatever trouble they have. So I deal with a lot of that, of just the customer service aspect of people who come in who are uncertain with their diagnosis or what it's going to take to to fix them or to get them back on the road or how long they're going to be ill for or what is it going to take to get them back together and what's the cost. And I see that kind of same dynamic with people's health uh, nowadays. Emergency medicine is the quintessential diagnostic dilemma. A lot of times when they show up to us, they are sick and they don't know and you don't know exactly what's going on with them. And it is your job to come up with a diagnostic solution with first a diagnosis, a diagnostic algorithm, and then to come up with a solution based upon whatever you think may be going on. And that's the case a lot of times that people come in and they're acutely ill. I mean, they are very, very sick. And when I say sick, I mean on the edge of death. And it is our responsibility as emergency medicine providers to, to stabilize that patient, to figure out what's going on and try to take care of them in the best way that we can. I did the same thing in, in the automotive business. Everybody thinks you just stick a computer in the dashboard and it reads out everything that's wrong with it. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, it's a start. It's like getting your blood pressure or something. It doesn't tell you what the diagnosis is. It just tells you that something's wrong. And it's up to that person to figure out what's wrong. And that takes a diagnostic mind, especially if you want to save your customers money and time. You know, I face the challenges of the automotive world every day as a medical doctor. Were there ever moments when you felt like giving up and saying, man, this is just too hard or maybe I'm too old? And if so, how did you stay the course? In my first two weeks of medical school, they had an exam so that they could demonstrate to us what the expectations were for how much we're supposed to learn and, and how rigorous the coursework was going to be. And I just remember feeling so overwhelmed at the details that they wanted us to know, the complexity of, of what we were supposed to understand, 
And I walked out of that test and was my head was spinning. And I was like, oh, my God, like, is this what I signed up for? Am I going to have four years of this? How hard is this going to be? I came to the conclusion that it was going to be a really rough four years. But then I got the results of the test. And it turned out I was like right in the 50th percentile of uh, my score on that test. And things kind of looked up from there. But I remember those first two weeks, I was not sleeping well. I wasn't eating well. I had this long drive back and forth to medical school. And I just remember feeling overwhelmed. But after those two weeks, and I saw that that I could do it. And I, I did really believe in myself. And I gave up a lot in order to to go to medical school that I felt like it's time to put the pedal to the metal. I went back to all my old studying habits and buckled down. And from that point on, it just felt like my trajectory was nothing but upward. I remember reading something about when you were doing those business classes at night, you were the youngest person in the classroom. And when you were in medical school, you were actually the oldest person in the classroom. What a difference of those two generations and those two curriculum. It definitely was. You know, I remember being the newbie in the class uh, back in my automotive <laughs> classes that I would take in the business classes and, you know, taking all the advice from the older folks who were there and just feeling like I had so much to learn. It was quite a change in in my experience when I went to medical school where some of the age of the kids who were there were the same age as my kids. I've always said I like being comfortable with being uncomfortable because I really mm-hmm. feel like that's when I'm growing is when I put myself in an uncomfortable situation where I don't know and where I have to figure it out and I have to rely on others' intellect and their knowledge to help me along. And those are the most memorable times of learning is when you're uncomfortable. So I've always tried to put myself in that kind of situation. You're now mentoring a lot of hopeful medical students and believe very strongly in representation. Why is that so important for you? Well, because I didn't have a lot of mentors to follow. Whenever you want to be something, a lot of times you're emulating what you have seen already. You're emulating somebody who you saw in a career or a profession, and you say, I want to be like that person. There was just not that example to show that these things are possible, to have somebody who looks like you or who comes from the same background that you have, maybe who has uh, suffered a lot of life challenges like I have. If you're not paired with somebody like that or you don't know that, then you will almost never believe that that life could be a life that you could have as well. So I try to reach out to a lot of young folks. I have people who shadow me a lot in the hospitals, other aspiring college students, or sometimes even medical professionals who want to maybe change their careers. So I could be that example. And so I could show them some of the opportunities in medicine to know somebody, to have somebody to talk to, to bounce ideas off of. I wish I could clone myself because it becomes overwhelming sometimes with just a some of the requests that I get, but I try to entertain as many people as I can to uh, to bring them along and to just try to encourage them. You definitely have to pay it forward because so many people paid it forward to me. It seems the medical passion is in the, a bit of a family affair. Your wife, yes, a physical therapist. Your older yeah. son is a fireman and an emergency medical technician. And your oldest daughter is a nursing assistant in nursing school. But I also learned that you have another passion. You want to master the piano? Is that true? Oh, Lord. (laughs) Actually, just before uh, our interview today, I was at my piano lesson. I've been taking piano for about a year now. I always, always wanted to learn how to play the piano or some kind of instrument, but mostly the piano. 
Uh, so after finishing up with a residency, I was able to, to commit to playing the piano. So it's been a little bit over a year now. I love it. I mean, it's another challenge. It works your brain and your hands in a totally different way, but I'm enjoying the lessons. And my teacher, she is just so incredibly patient with me, which I'm grateful for because, boy, I'm a screw up when it comes to playing the piano well. <laughs> oh, you're such an inspiration with all of that. Dr. Carl, as you look back over your life and how this has all unfolded, what's the biggest piece of advice that you can share with our listeners about how to live their best life? You'll never know what you're capable of unless you try. If you have a passion, a dream, well, it takes sacrifice and it takes hard work. It's going to take people who are in your corner to support you. But don't ever let things stop you from being the person that you feel like you need to be or who you want to be. I think if I didn't go after becoming a doctor, something I always wanted to do, I mean, even if I fell short, at least I tried. And I have no regrets for what I've done and all of the sacrifices that I've made to be here right now. It's really made me whole and it's really made me feel like I am living my best life with what I'm doing now, with helping others and just being there for people in some of their greatest times of need. I truly want to say thank you to you today, Dr. Carl, for being my guest and truly for showing us that it's never too late to follow your dreams. And congratulations to all of your success. It's just such an honor to hear you and share your story today. Well, thank you, Liz. I appreciate you having me on the show. It's been great. And thanks to all of you for tuning into this episode. May you remember that your circumstances do not define you. And with passion, patience, and yes, persistence, you can follow your dreams and live your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.